She was a seamstress. She never went anywhere without her buttons and thimbles. Her friend was a very religious woman. The night she died, she was wearing three votive medals. The third one doesn't have any distinctive belongings, but she is the youngest of the three. Three women, Pilar, Valeriana, Virtudes. Their remains are identified and returned to their families. Their bodies show signs of torture. They were executed during the Spanish Civil War. It looks like one of them was pregnant. They were underground for 66 years, but they still have a story to tell. The same year that these women are found, in 2002, on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, the story of a new but also old tragedy is being written. In Colombia, government forces, paramilitary and guerrilla groups are entangled in a seemingly never-ending war. The losers are the people of Colombia. There is a river, a river that runs through the region of Antioquia in the northwest, the river Cauca. It is essential to the survival of the people here, but in 2002, as it rushes towards the Pacific Ocean, it carries bodies past, almost on a daily basis. The bodies of political leaders, activists, civilians who refuse to pay a bribe. I'm Saskia Kartenbrunner, and this episode of Orders in Decay is about the right to remember and the fight to be heard. The Colombian Civil War has been waging since the 1960s. It has cost over 200,000 lives. The country also registers more than 80,000 disappearances, although no one knows how many of those people who mysteriously vanished actually floated down a river in broad daylight. Disappearance seems like a strange word for this. But then, in November 2016, a peace agreement is signed between the government and the biggest communist guerrilla group, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. Many questions are still unresolved, but there is hope that this is it. Finally, the chance to grieve. For the communities that have been most affected to recover, and for those who have been displaced to reclaim their land. That's what was meant to happen. I grew up in Spain. I remember when around 2011 civil war mass graves started to be in the news quite a lot. The 2002 exhumation of Pilar, Valeriana and Virtudes took place in a small town in central Spain called Candeleda, but it attracted national and international attention. Their story resonated. After all, it was the story of Pilar, Valeriana and Virtudes, but it was also the story of the war, of the victims. They were not only killed, but by throwing them in an unmarked mass grave, they were effectively silenced, deleted from the history books. Several other excavations followed during those years. I remember being fascinated by the possibility to recover these bodies now. They were killed long before my parents were born. The stories they must tell. The importance it must have for their families to finally know what happened to them, who killed them, where, when and why. In the northern region of Antioquia, in Colombia, over 200 families have lost a relative during the armed conflict and never found them. Losing a relative leaves a trace on a family. 200 families losing a relative leaves a trace on society. It is not only the bodies that are at risk of disappearing forever, but also the memory of half a century of conflict. The country is trying to look ahead, to move on. But this is happening at the expense of casting a veil over the experience of the people here. 
a veil, and thousands of tons of concrete. Two hundred and twenty-five meters tall, four hundred and five meters long, with a capacity of twenty million cubic meters, the Ituango Dam is a massive grey monstrosity that immediately stands out in the Cauca Valley. It is taller than any building in the country. The dam can be seen and heard from the far, long before the moving black dots on top become recognizable as trucks, cars and construction workers. The river Cauca, the same river that used to be a convenient graveyard, now rushes through the Ituango Dam at a speed of 22,600 cubic meters per second. Soon, every second, 22,600 cubic meters of memory and trauma will be generating 2,400 megawatt. This would make Hidro Ituango Colombia's biggest hydroelectric project and provide energy for one in six households in the country. A chance for economic recovery? Maybe. A chance for the country to heal its wounds and to forget about the river's dark past? So far, sadly not. The armed conflict emerged from a long history of almost uninterrupted violence in Colombia. And it was in its essence a conflict over land ownership and influence in different territories. But it became more complex than that. A guerrilla group that had started forming in the rural areas in the 60s, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or FARC in short, expanded massively thanks to the war on drugs, which started in the US. Coca, a central ingredient in the production of cocaine, was by far the most reliable cash crop of the Andean peasants, called campesinos. The campesinos started accepting protection from the FARC in exchange for money. The FARC grew in numbers, acquired more advanced weapons, and adopted measures such as bombings, kidnappings, and the laying of landmines. The FARC claimed to speak for the people, in particular for the poor. The paramilitary groups claimed to be responding to their attacks, and the government says it was protecting the peace and stability of the country. In the end, those caught in between were the civilians, the campesinos in the countryside in particular. According to the National Center for Historical Memory, for every fighter that has died, four civilians have died as well. Strategies such as the landmines have also caused more damage to the campesinos than to the army, according to a mine expert interviewed by National Geographic. Not only directly, but also indirectly. Landmines have caused fears of venturing out into unknown regions, of taking children to school, or of leaving the house after dark to find a doctor if someone was sick. The same expert says, quote, Normally campesinos live in a harmonious relationship with their surroundings. Mines destroyed that, unquote. What the war has done is stopped people from feeling safe on their lands. All sides have been accused of human rights violations and terrorism. Bodies were sometimes thrown into the rivers to punish the relatives of the victims, but also so that they couldn't be recovered. And yet another reason was simply to keep the official number of deaths in a region down. A matter of statistics. The bodies that have been found in the river Cauca have often been dismembered, not only as a form of torture, but also very pragmatically, so that the bodies wouldn't float in the water. Some victims were also buried, 
and every bit of soil covering them seemed like a guarantee that they couldn't just be washed away. People used to remember where their relatives were buried by counting trees, to make sure they would be able to recover them when peace had finally returned to the country. In the Antioquia region, those trees have now been felled to make way for the Ituango Dam. In 2010, Empresas Públicas Medellín, in short, EPM, started building the dam, having received the environmental license from the responsible ministry. It is by far not the first time the rich ecosystem here is compromised. Pollution from the bigger cities and factories means that the river Cauca receives about 500 tons of residual waste every day already. But this time, EPM couldn't have imagined the force of the protest that they would have to face. From the start, inhabitants were worried about the impact on the ecosystem and on their way of life. And confirming their fears, soon thereafter, people started to be evicted from their lands to make way for the dam. The project was meant to be finished in 2018, but in April of that year, heavy rain and the instability of the terrain caused the reservoir to overflow. Images from before 2018 show numerous small settlements on the river banks that then simply disappeared underwater within a few days. The population had to be evacuated, and Ituango, a bigger settlement slightly further away, was completely cut off from the rest of the world. Fears that the dam, still under construction, would not be able to hold the quantities of water made the authorities extend the order of evacuation to at least 10 other villages in the area. A tunnel that was meant to divert water collapses, making the situation worse, and by the 17th of May, countless towns and settlements in four different municipalities have been evacuated. A professor at the National University of Colombia suggested at the time that if the Ituango Dam broke, it would be the second biggest engineering failure in history, after Chernobyl. The complete collapse doesn't happen. The dam is finished in July 2019, but the damage is irreparable. Several towns in the valley have been completely flooded. The inhabitants have been displaced, the area is inaccessible. A year on, the displaced groups are still living in emergency shelters. Colombia has the largest population of internally displaced people in the world, 7.7 million. The inhabitants of the region around Ituango are now part of that group but it is not the armed conflict that has forced them out of their homes. Ignored, forgotten and betrayed, again and again, by everyone who claims to speak for them, the inhabitants of the Cauca region have decided to take matters into their own hands. They are not willing to be silenced. Rios Vivos is the name that they have chosen for their protest. It translates to living rivers. The people that have joined Rios Vivos are the ones that used to live here, whose whole life was structured around the river. Fish and vegetation alone, sometimes also animals from the mountains, usually guaranteed their survival. And when it didn't, they used to extract gold from the bottom of the river with simple tools, and with it, buy everything that they couldn't produce themselves. These miners were called barriqueros. Rios Vivos denounces Hidroituango as a project that is harmful to the barriqueros and to women in particular, part of a sexist and patriarchal system 
It leaves the women who have already been victims of the armed conflict without any means of subsistence. A diverse ecosystem depends on the river. Medicinal herbs and plants, some of them with a magical or religious significance, are particularly important to the inhabitants. They write, quote, How much of the river and the plants have been affected cannot be quantified. It is not only a plant that is there, but lost wisdom. They hurt these mega-projects that simply pretend to be above the life and dignity of every manifestation of life in the Cauca Valley in Antioquia, unquote. Since pre-Columbian times, there had been an indigenous settlement on the river banks. It was dissolved in the 19th century, and the land was distributed. Everyone received a few acres, some of them remained a shared property. When someone died, formal discussions of succession or ownership were hardly ever needed. Ownership was organised through collective recognition. Neither the Spanish during colonial times, nor guerrillas and paramilitaries in the last century, had managed to take the river and these lands from them. The Colombian poet, Jaime Jaramillo Escobar, has dedicated several of his works to the river. He evokes images of his childhood, hunting in the forests, of poverty, graveyards, of colonialists that never really left. His poem, Andanza del Rio Cauca, ends with the words, Yo quería hacer un canto épico para el río Cauca, pero mejor voy a esperar hasta que pueda estar seguro de que el río Cauca es mío, porque no me gusta cantarles a los ríos ajenos. I wanted to write an epic song for the river Cauca, but I better wait until I can be sure that the river Cauca is mine, because I don't like singing for someone else's river. Rios Vivos describes itself as a movement for hope. Quote, Initially we thought that the idea of protesting against this monster was crazy, that we were going to be killed or incarcerated in the first attempt. Some still think that way, and they have reasons to do so. Police and the military have prevented the affected people from gathering together or having clandestine meetings in coffee houses or parks. Some claim that even if we remained silent, we could end up murdered, that doing nothing could not guarantee that we remained alive, that life in this region has always had low value. Little by little we have lost fear. A few people took part in the first general strike. They organised demonstrations and blocked the main road, preventing the project's machinery from arriving at the region, thus making public companies of Medellin, EPM, pay at least for a few minutes for the destruction of our mountains. Later on, more people joined the demonstrations. They came down the mountains, overcoming a long state of lethargy caused by years of hopelessness. The people of our movement woke up from a long nightmare which felt like a coma. We did not know what to ask for, neither how to reach agreements. This has been the hardest part for us to learn. We lacked a roadmap. We did not have a clear horizon. Unquote. The protesters soon became hundreds. They started rhymes and chants, jokes about the anti-riot police forces, their uniforms and the way they walked. Families that had never met before, from all over the Cauca Valley, came together to dance, cook, sing and learn from each other. Fifteen different collectives make up Rios Vivos. Organisations of women, artisan miners, 
fishers, muleteers, peasants, youth organisations. Security forces dispersed them again and again, but it was too late. They couldn't be silenced anymore. There used to be a small museum near the river, a site where relatives of the victims kept pictures of their loved ones and gathered to discuss restitution processes. There used to be a historic bridge over the river Kauka that was the symbol of the area. There used to be an improvised graveyard that had been set up quickly to commemorate the victims. It's all gone now. Before the area became inaccessible, inhabitants asked again and again for support to look for possible mass graves. New technology would maybe even allow for bodies to be recovered from the river. But now, the dam and the flooding of the area are making it almost impossible. It is not only the material damage and the displacement of the people that Rios Vivos is protesting against. It is their history, their traditions, and their very right to live on the lands where they were born that is under attack. Most generations in Colombia have known nothing but fear, instability and violence. In the Ituango region, over 60% of the population have been victims of the armed conflict. It is tiring. And yet, hearing their songs, listening to them speak, you see anger and you see frustration that they are not being heard, but you never see exhaustion. They are facing challenges. The Unit for the Attention and Integral Reparation to the Victims registers 53 cases of threats against the leaders of social and environmental protests here. Isabel Fuleta, the speaker of the movement, is on the list of human rights defenders at risk. She explains that they have spoken to the authorities and they refuse to investigate the whereabouts of the people buried here. Fuleta herself has been a victim of surveillance, interventions in her communication and death threats. Already in 2016, when the group was protesting the evictions that were taking place, several protests had to be dissolved due to threats from paramilitary groups. Abuses from the police, military, private security and guerrilla forces have been common. And the threats are serious. In 2013, Nelson Posada, one of the other speakers for the movement, was found dead, with bullets in his chest and legs by the banks of the river Cauca. A decisive moment for the movement, which only motivated them more to speak up for their cause. Later that year, Robinson David Mazo, also a member of Rios Vivos, was killed with seven bullets. Rios Vivos write that their basic rights have been violated on numerous occasions. This includes the right to life, to housing, education and healthcare. But Rios Vivos have not stopped fighting for those rights. The relentless fight of the movement has shown some results. They have now, only in April 2020, been promised protection and recognition on a national level by a judge, who has also recognised the legitimacy of the defence of the rivers of Colombia. The lawyers of the movement have explained that this will now move on to the Constitutional Court, where they are hoping that the threats against human rights defenders and the displacement of people in the Cauca Valley will be declared unconstitutional. The fight is not won. Demands for a safe place to live are still not being met, and a lot of the damage can't be reversed. But their story is starting to be heard.
I grew up in Spain. I remember being fascinated by the stories that the dead can tell. It took me years to see the bigger picture. To understand that being allowed to investigate what happened to your relatives is directly linked to a sense of belonging. It is a way to reclaim your history and your land. Being denied the right to live with dignity and being denied the right to die with dignity are two sides of the same coin. In his book Unburied Bodies, James Martell writes that the human body is the symbol of personhood. The desecrated, unburied human body can serve authorities, but it can also fuel resistance. Rios Vivos has turned the desperation of people not able to recover their dead into something powerful. The victims of the conflict are now a source of motivation for those who are simply demanding respect for their right to live and die on the lands where their ancestors have lived and died for hundreds of years. <laughs>